0: Well, I'm Senator James Langford. You're joining in The Breakdown with James Langford. Thanks for joining us for another one of these podcasts and these conversations about some of the hot issues of the day. You know our practice is to try to take some of the things that you see on the news or hear about and to break it down into its most intricate parts so that you can be the smartest kid at the water cooler uh, at your office. And you, when you get into a conversation with someone about it, you can say, hey, I actually know a little bit about this and to be able to dig in on it. Today we're talking about something that's in the news dealing with chemical abortions, mefeprestone, you may have heard that term. Uh, You may have heard people just throw around things like Fifth Circuit decisions and medical abortions and all those different terms. And I talked to a lot of people and they're like, yeah, I've heard that. I really don't know what it is one way or the other. So we're going to spend some time trying to be able to dig in on that. If you're just tuning in on this particular one, but you're not a regular subscriber on our podcast, you can do that. Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the normal uh, locations to be able to actually do a podcast subscription. Subscribe to it, we'll automatically send you the new editions when they come out on it every time. Well, I've got a couple of guests that are here with me today because we're going to dig into really some really heady issues. We're going to talk about the legal issues. And we're going to talk about the medical issues around this chemical abortion, what this really means, what's happening with the FDA, what's happening with now the Supreme Court in the conversation about that. So let me introduce a couple of folks to you and we're going to jump right into the conversation. I want to first introduce uh, Eric Baptist, who's here with me today. He's an attorney, but he's one of the nice attorneys uh, that's out there. Uh, He is one of the guys that's actually from Alliance Defending Freedom. He's actually helping argue this case and to be able to go through what are the issues with the FDA, uh, what's actually happened, what's different about this process, that what's typical in the legal process on this, uh, because we are a nation of law and order, at least that's what I've heard. And so we follow regular process, Administrative Procedure Act. We follow through regular process to be able to make sure things actually work as they should as people make decisions on it. So thanks for all the work that you've already done on this, Eric, all the work and the arguments that you've already made, the things that you've written, the research that you've done. Uh, So we really appreciate you being here a part of this. You're here live with me right now, but we've also got a guest here with us as well, Dr. Donna Harrison. Uh, Dr. Dr. Harrison, thank you for joining us. You're gonna walk through some of the medical aspects of this today. Dr. Harrison uh, actually finished medical school in 1986, finished her residency in 1990 as an OBGYN. Uh, You know a little bit about all of these different issues, to be able to say the least. Uh, You've been very engaged. You're the chairman of the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine now, uh, which is a gathering of different OBGYNs from all over the country. So you've not only been engaged in this issue, you've been engaged in a lot of medical issues on this for a long time. So thanks for joining us as well, for Eric and I getting a chance to be able to see here live, for you to be able to uh, actually uh, connect with us there virtually. Uh, I wanna go first to you, Dr. Harrison, on this, because set that context for us. When people hear terms like chemical abortion or medical abortion or do-it-yourself abortion or mail-in abortions, we've heard all these different terms on it. People will say, I don't really know what that really is. So help people understand what is this two drug cocktail? What is it, where did it come from? And then also what are the very real risks that are out there related to it?
1: Senator Langford, thank you for allowing me to be on this podcast. It's very important that people understand the reality behind this case and not uh, some of the uh, incredibly deceptive spin um, let me talk about how medical abortion or chemical abortion or drug-induced abortion works. Um, drug-induced abortion is an abortion done by using drugs. And one of those drugs, the most common drug, the one that's at, at, uh, in discussion in this case, is mifepristone. So in order to understand how mifepristone works, we have to understand how pregnancy works. And a woman's body makes pro- progesterone, which is a natural hormone, that lets her body carry the baby, nourish the baby. Mifepristone blocks progesterone. So when mifepristone is around, the progesterone can't allow the woman's body to nourish the baby. Now, this is a problem because then the baby dies, but the baby is not often expelled just by being dead. So a second drug has to be used, and that's mesoprostol or Cytotec. And that drug causes the uterus to contract and uh, squeeze out the baby who's died and uh, hopefully the placenta. The problem is, as you get further and further in pregnancy, the mifepristone and the mesoprostol work less and less well. So at seven weeks after the first day of her last menstrual period, she has about a one out of 20 chance of needing a surgery to complete her abortion. but. If she's 13 weeks, so a month off on her due date, then she is going to have a one out of three chance of needing surgical abortion. So the problem with this willy nilly um, access without ever seeing a doctor is that she never gets an accurate due date. She never gets an accurate age of the pregnancy. And without that accurate age of the pregnancy, there's no way that she can have adequate informed consent which is a right of every woman to have adequate informed consent prior to a procedure. So without having an ultrasound to know exactly how far along she is, she won't know whether she has a one in 20 risk of additional surgery or one in three risk of additional surgery, but it gets worse. (laughs) So not only is there her risk of having tissue left inside increased, but if she has a pregnancy that has planted outside of her womb, that is in the tube, an ectopic pregnancy, Mifepristone does not treat ectopic pregnancy. So the symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy are bleeding and pain. The symptoms of a mifepristone abortion are bleeding and pain. So she may think she's having a normal mifepristone abortion when actually her tube is rupturing and she can hemorrhage and die. Women have died from unrecognized ruptured ectopic pregnancies because they didn't have an ultrasound first to show that the baby was actually in the womb before they started the mifepristone abortion and it gets worse wow. women who are rh negative that is they have o negative or b negative blood type they need a medicine called rogam rogam is a medicine that is given whenever a woman has an abortion or a miscarriage or a, a delivery to help prevent her body from having an allergic reaction to the next baby So what we are doing right now, by not testing and not giving ROGAM, which is what's happening under the current FDA regulations, is we are setting women in this country up for future pregnancy loss of wanted pregnancies. So this is really bad. And then think about the possibility of uh, sex traffickers getting a hold of this drug, or uh, abusers getting a hold of this drug. No one knows who's on the other side of that laptop screen and there is no way to adequately screen women for either domestic violence or trafficking or abuse when you're doing an, a virtual visit. There's, it's just not possible. So these are all dangers for women, and they're increasing with the lack of, of uh, requirement that a woman have an in-person visit.
0: So all that you hear in the public media is this on and on and on about this drug is safe. It's been used for two decades. This has not been an issue. It's a very common form of abortion. And it's just this on and on and on about this is a safe drug, safe drug, safe drug, safe drug over and over again. No one talks about the issues that you're talking about in the very real risks And a lot of things that have shifted from the FDA recently where the FDA shifted from You have to have a visit with a physician, which was the requirement of this drug originally when it came out. You've got to actually have three visits with a physician, if I remember this correctly, uh, uh, when it was uh, first uh, released by the FDA. So now they're saying, okay, you don't have to visit the FDA at all. In fact, you don't even have to talk to a doctor at all. You can just talk to what they're calling a healthcare professional and just connect with them. Uh, So that's, that's a massive change on this. So Eric, let me come to you on this. FDA has made all these changes on it and as in, in many ways is ignoring the the health risks that are out there that are very real uh, for women across the country on this. You've engaged to be able to just challenge the FDA and say you've got to be able to follow you've got to be able to not have a political conversation about abortion. FDA should be about health issues and about protecting the life of every single person in their own health. And you've engaged on some process things. So walk us through a little history because this drug's not new. It's had a couple of uh, decades of history on it that you've actually had the opportunity to be able to walk through. So set context for us. What has the FDA done?
2: Sure. What the FDA did originally to approve this drug was in the last year of the Clinton administration, it approved in September of 2000, uh, the use of Mifepristone for chemical abortion purposes. But even then, the FDA recognized dangers associated with this drug, and therefore they needed to use their one and only regulatory authority to impose post-approval restrictions on this drug. But that authority was intended for accelerated approval of life-saving and life-affirming drugs. Um, it's, it, was, it was, we call it subpart H. And so subpart H was used, but that was reserved for drugs intended to treat life-threatening or serious illnesses and that also provided a meaningful therapeutic benefit over existing treatments. Now, we all probably can agree that neither of those are true. Pregnancy is not an illness. And mifepristone doesn't actually provide a meaningful therapeutic benefit, but the studies also show it doesn't provide a meaningful therapeutic benefit over surgical abortion. Some studies show that it's four times more dangerous to take mifepristone as opposed to having a surgical abortion, which itself is a dangerous procedure. So that's what the FDA had to do. They jammed this approval through their accelerated approval authority because that was the only way they could restrict this dangerous drug in 2000. So that was illegal in in its first place. But then in 2016, the FDA made what we call, and what they call, major changes to the regimen. They extended the gestational age from seven weeks to 10 weeks, as Dr. Harrison noted. That increases the risk of complications. They also took away two of the three in-person doctor visits. So there used to be a day one appointment to get screened for life-threatening ectopic pregnancies to confirm gestational age. Um, And then a day three one to come back to get the second drug. Again, maybe it was not necessary, but to see if there are any complications then. And then a day 14 appointment to see if there are any fetal parts remaining or any other pregnancy tissue that could lead to complications. The FDA got rid of day 14 and day three, and they said, here are the drugs, go home, and we don't need to see you again. At least that's the abortionist perspective.
0: But but they were at least screening for the ectopic pregnancy at that point. In theory, they were,
2: but one problem we've identified since the beginning, they never required an ultrasound. They said, Mm -hmm. we'll just leave to the doctor's discretion. They had no basis, no science, no evidence to support such a conclusion. In fact, when you go back to the 2000 approval, the clinical investigations upon which the FDA relied all contain ultrasounds to screen for these complications. Mm. They didn't require it, though. They had no evidence. They just jumped to legal conclusions. And the same in 2016. They had no evidence showing that, again, ultrasounds were not necessary. Most of the studies they relied upon had ultrasounds in them. And then they said, well, this procedure must be safe. But they didn't, again, never in 2000 and 2016 ever had a study showing that the approved regimen was safe. That's I like to say that's the equivalent of saying I've approved this drug for a headache, uh, to take every four hours, but the FD's only studied it for every 24 hours. Right. And it's like you don't have the basis to do what you did for the labeling. And that's highly mm-hmm. illegal. And then in 2021, when they got... Okay. Sorry, Before go you ahead. jump
0: in on that. Uh, just to review on this, we're talking the last days of the Clinton administration, the first approval, then the last days of the Obama administration for this change on it, and then now fast forward so to then, 2021. Then we
2: fast forward literally uh, to the first year of the Biden administration. They don't even wait for the last years of their <laughs> administration. They went full speed ahead on taken away the last doctor visit and it, it, again they took doctor out of it as you noted in 2016 so the last healthcare visit uh, with with a, an abortion provider they say you can just get this by mail over the computer over the phone without ever being screened for these life threatening ectopic e- 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 pregnancies
0: so or gestational age d- healthcare professionals just undefined on who the healthcare professionals It is defined
2: by the state whoever is authorized to prescribe a drug can give these drugs out they may not actually be you know trade medically but whatever a state says you can do sure. you if you can prescribe it you can give it never meet with the woman give it to her uh by mail never see her and then she may experience complications and that's wow. It's one again. They didn't have the studies to support it, but they also violated longstanding criminal laws as well that say you can't ban, you can't distribute these drugs by mail. That was on its face illegal. Right,
0: pause on that one. We're going to come back oh, to sorry, that because yes. that, no, that, that, yeah. that's a, that's another whole issue mm-hmm. in this as well. Okay, so keep going on the on the FDA process.
2: So again, what what this case is focused on is holding the FDA accountable for violating multiple federal laws and the FDA's own regulations. A lot of times I see in the press, oh, you're just questioning the scientific expertise of this agency. No. Our government works where Congress passes the laws, the executive branch is supposed to execute and, and fulfill those congressional mandates and then when they fail to do so, it is our judiciary systems and the court's responsibility to hold those lawless federal agencies accountable for those actions because as we see here, when a federal agency such as the FDA acts unlawfully, there are dangerous and damaging consequences to women and girls across this country.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it's incredibly serious what can happen at this point. And again, Dr. Heston, I would mentioned before that, that A lot of people just keep referring over and over again. This is a safe drug. It's been used for 20 years. It's safe. It's safe. It's safe. It's common. It's common. It's common. But there's been a pretty dramatic shift in even how it's been used. But a lot of people want to be able to ignore uh, some of the complications. I think the most stark thing that the Biden administration has done is I believe this was in the 2021 time period. They actually took away all the information about the drug at this point and said only tell us if the patient dies from using the drug, but don't tell us any other information about it. Was that the 2021? It was
2: 2016. That was the 2016. 2016. Okay, in mm-hmm. the
0: 2016 time period. So this is the shocking one to me about this, is that they said, okay, if the woman has to go to the emergency room, if she has excessive <laughs> bleeding, uh, if there are other major complications, even if she's in the ER and in life support for days and days and days, if she recovers from that, don't tell us about it. Only tell us if she dies. That is a remarkable thing to me. Do, why, why would the FDA do that? And how helpful would it be for the medical professionals that actually do prescribing of any drug to be able to know what are the side effects and the complications and how frequent are these complications? Is that typical?
1: No, it's not typical. And in fact, it's a violation of women's rights because women have a right to know before they proceed with the procedure, any procedure, what the risks are and what the complications they could face. That's part of informed consent. So part of the important thing is that the FDA has taken away the ability of any physician to do informed consent prior to receiving a Mifeprex abortion. And what's even worse is the justification that was used by the FDA for relaxing the the final restrictions was a lack of reports in their adverse event reporting system. When they themselves said you don't have to report anymore i mean it's you can't make this stuff up that the fda has been purposefully under soliciting reports that is purposefully not requiring complications from this drug to be reported so that they could then say well there's no complications that we know of and if you look carefully that's what they say well no reported complications. Well, if you are not required to report, who's gonna report? And what's even worse is the complication reporting, even, even at the beginning, was only required of abortionists. But ER docs take care of over half of the complications. We know that from the, uh, I was part of a group who reviewed all of the adverse event reports that were submitted to the FDA. And we know that over half of the complications of DNCs, the emergencies, are done in the emergency room, and that's just the ones that the abortionists know about. So the ER docs have been completely unaware of the reporting requirements or even the mechanism for reporting. It's all the drug industry, the, the manufacturer, report, uh, the abortionists, excuse me, the abortionist reporting to Danco, who's the manufacturer, who then reports to the FDA. So you can see the conflict of interest here. What, what uh, reason would they have for reporting a complication?
0: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to hear all those stories say, hey, there's no complications, there's no problems, there's no side effects on this, everything's good. But to also know the FDA is saying, please don't tell us uh, if there are side uh, complications, only tell us if someone died uh, through that. So it, it that, that that's the part I think is the most stunning to me of the FDA and for what they have done, and how so many people in the public are not getting the information about what are the very real dangers and the very real threats here. And so if you, If you basically say, you don't have to tell us, no one's going to go to a federal agency and say, I know you don't want this information, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That's not how it works in real life. And especially if the main folks that are reporting are the abortionists and are the manufacturer of the drug, they clearly have the incentive not to be able to do the reporting. This is now in the court system. And as you mentioned before in this, uh, Eric, once it gets in the court system, the spin publicly is, well it's it's in the courts because you're trying to put the courts to overrule science on this and science needs to deal with science and the courts need to deal with the law well the courts are dealing with the law at this point They're, they're dealing with did fda follow the procedures did they follow the appropriate process are they actually guarding for safety so regardless of what the drug does take the politics and the public noise out of it are they following the law and the statute on this this is now working its way through the court system it's been super confusing because it's been really fast and people are finding out it's in this Texas court. No, it's in the Fifth Circuit. No, it's in the Supreme Court. No, it's back in the Fifth Circuit. And no one knows where it is at this point. So walk us through what has happened in the court system on this and where this is going.
2: I don't fault people saying, wow, this is happening so quickly because I'm experiencing it firsthand sometimes. Yeah. And so we, we filed this case just in November of last year. The court had a hearing on March 15th. And then on April 7th, it decided the district court in Amarillo, Texas, the federal court down there, decided in favor of our entire claim, all our claims, and ruled that the drug was unlawfully approved and all the subsequent actions to remove those basic safeguards were also illegal. Um, Then the the government and Danco Laboratories, the Cayman Islands-based manufacturer, filed an emergency appeal with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And that court essentially agreed with most of our claims there, except for one exception, just on a time-limited issue, agreed with us. And then because they agreed with us and didn't put a pause on the case, the government and Danco went back up to the Supreme Court. And just last week, Friday, the the FDA uh, got some temporary relief. The court hit the pause button without explaining why, but a purported majority of the court hit a pause button on our lower court victories. And so now we're gonna go proceed um, again on an expedited appeal process because even the Fifth Circuit recognized that before even the Supreme Court ruled, they scheduled oral argument for May 17th. So we're gonna be right back again um, in the Fifth Circuit, we're working on briefs as we speak late last night. We got the other side's briefs and our briefs are gonna be due in just about 10 days. So things are moving quickly, but again, and, and who knows how quickly the Fifth Circuit will rule, maybe a month or weeks, and then it may go right back to the Supreme Court. So it's kind of a whipsaw for a lot of folks, but it's, it's, it's important what's happening. And now we're getting to the merits of the case. So I'm excited for this part because we, we wanted the lower court on the merits. Now we're in the Fifth Circuit and we, we know, again, when any fair-minded judge looks at the facts in the law here, they definitely should agree with us because it's so blatant what the FDA did, as you've highlighted a few examples already. And
0: for anyone who follows court cases, uh, having a case that you have the initial argument in the federal court uh, in Amarillo in March, and then if you said, by may two months later you're going to have gone through the circuit court supreme court back to the circuit court no one would have believed that (laughs) there are lots of cases that actually go to the supreme court that take a year to even Mm -hmm. get to the court and then will take six months to be decided by the court on this so everybody's used to having a long period of time this is actually moving very rapidly because people are looking at you know did the fda really violate their own rules on this and they and what is the legal process on it and if they did then there's actually people's health that is at risk with this and so they're moving quickly because they're dealing with a clearly a life and death situation i I think most people that are tracking this podcast know i'm very outspoken on my passion and belief about the value of every single child i don't think some children are disposable and some children are valuable I, i think all children are valuable every single one of them so i'm very outspoken on the value of every single child but this is not just about the child this is also about the mom's health as well and about very real risks to the mom. And so what FDA may have done, and the courts are gonna walk through the process on this, what it looks very clear to us that they have done is for political expediency and a perspective about abortion, ignored their own rules and their own guidelines to say, we really wanna have more abortions in America and make that more accessible. So we're gonna push through something to get more abortions in America, but it also may cause real harm long-term to a lot of women uh, as well. So I appreciate the engagement on this. So May 17 in front of the full uh, Fifth Circuit at that point, uh, then at that point you're saying maybe a month, maybe two months on it, until uh, we find out a decision from there. Uh, it regardless is going to be one of those things that a lot of folks are going to be able to watch uh, in the days ahead. So, Dr. Harrison, let me let me ask you a little bit on on some of the health issues as well on this. Right now, this drug is back available again. Uh, the Supreme Court is it said okay, pause on all this. It's still going to be available as it was though the. The federal court and then the circuit court both said, no, it shouldn't be available right now. What's going through Supreme Court opened it back up again and said, no, it's going to be available. So this drug is out there uh, right now and is available to folks you mentioned something that a lot of folks don't talk about but it's very serious uh, and that is about domestic violence that's about a boyfriend that may want to uh, terminate a girlfriend's pregnancy and so they could just literally go online sign up get this drug get it mailed to them these become very serious issues in medical practices and things that you have seen and that you've been around and talking to er doctors on this how does an emergency room physician handle some of these issues And when they're walking through and a woman is walking through the door at this point in the emergency room saying, hey, I'm bleeding, I've taken this drug. Or maybe she doesn't even know that she's taken this drug. It was actually just given to her. What happens next on a medical practice? Then, Eric, I want to come back to you and talk about mail order abortion and the law about mailing abortion materials as well. But, Dr. Harrison, I want to ask you about that first.
1: Okay. The first thing that the ER doc is going to do is stabilize that woman. She's going to take care of her and make sure that she's not bleeding to death. And that's going to be the first thing. And then she, he's going, he or she is going to try to get a history from the woman. And we know that some of the abortion providers have told women to flat out lie to the ER doc and not tell them that they've taken Mifeprex. But that's a danger for her. And we know from doing research, well, I'm, I'm on a team that is looking at complications from mifepristone. we know that a woman is more likely to be admitted to the hospital if she lies to her doctor because the bleeding and the hemorrhage and, and the pain that you see with a mifiprex abortion is different than the bleeding and pain and hemorrhage that you see with a spontaneous abortion in character. And so it, it looks like she's sicker if she's had a, a mifiprex abortion, she's more likely to be admitted That's the use of ER facilities that's completely unnecessary, plus there's a high hemorrhage rate with mifeprex abortion. So some of these women have been transfused and needed massive transfusions, like equivalent to what you see with a major motor vehicle accident. And in part, that's because the mifeprex drug itself interferes with the ability of the womb to contract so that the the blood vessels stay open when they should be contracting Mm -hmm. and so these women tend to have very large hemorrhages and that is at the time when our nation is facing a critical blood shortage so we're actually increasing and worsening what what we see with the willy-nilly use of mifeprex the other thing that's very concerning is that the target for uh, women to take mifeprex are women who have very little access to medical care so In addition to the deaths that we saw in our review of the adverse event, we saw thousands of near-deaths, life-threatening situations where if the woman had not made it to the air in time, she would have died. And, And all of this is not being collected. All of this is being swept under the ground by saying we don't see any reported complications.
0: So let's talk about this mail order abortion, uh, what Dr. Harrison brings up, and there's this focus on, uh, you know, people that don't give access, they may be in rural areas, or they don't have access to other healthcare facilities. If they're in rural areas, they may be 30, 40 minutes from a hospital at that point. Uh, it, it, the, the, there are people say, how about mail order? Is this really an issue of doing a mail order abortion on it? And many of us, including you have raised your hand and said, actually that's against federal law. But that's, that's surprising to folks because a lot of people don't know a mail order abortion or mailing abortion materials is against federal law right now. Walk us through that, because this is a very old law. This is not new. This is a very old law.
2: Yeah, and so there's a long standing statute called the Comstock Act. Some people may have heard of it. It was, it's, I think it's celebrating its 150th anniversary. So it's been on the books for a long time, never overturned by any court, especially with regards to the distribution of chemical abortion drugs. And it's expressly in the plain terms on the statute it says, you cannot mail any drug intended to induce or provide an abortion using the U.S. postal system, a common carrier, or an express company. So it's very clear on its face. And the Biden administration disregarded that law when they approved, expressly approved, mail order abortions. And so we have brought that claim into our lawsuit because Federal agencies aren't just responsible for enforcing the laws that govern the agency. It's also is supposed to, under the Administrative Procedure Act, which is the statute that governs all federal agencies, right. you're supposed to comply with all federal laws. I mean, right. it'd be quite, it's, it's quite a position to, to take if the government were to. It's like ignorance of the law is an excuse because obviously they don't take that, let other defendants in cases take that excuse as well. So they had to not expressly authorize something that's of criminal violation on its face, and that's what they did here.
0: So it's remarkable. Every time that uh, this drug that we're called chemical abortion, do it yourself abortion, mail order abortion, whatever they call it, every time it's mailed to an individual, that's actually violating federal law just by being mailed to an individual as well. So it's not only the issue of they're not getting checked for an epitopic pregnancy, which could, which they could die uh, from that. Obviously, if if they take this drug. They're not being told about the hemorrhaging, they're not being told about uh, all the different uh, complications, they're not being told about the RH negative issues where this could actually keep them from having a child in the future uh, if, they're, if they don't get the correct treatment through the process itself. All those things are being ignored and it's a violation of federal law just on its face to a- actually mail this out. So again, all these folks that are saying, hey, this is just about abortion. Hey, I'm passionate about protecting the life of children. But this is a much bigger issue than just, it's about abortion. This is about the health of moms. Uh, This is also about law and order. And this is also about process. And uh, those things are all things that are actually get determined in the courts to be able to say, how does this actually get resolved? So you've got a lot in front of you, a lot of arguments here. Thanks for sneaking away time. You've got stuff you've got a right to be able to submit, to be able to get to the court and lots of research to do. Dr. Harrison, you've got a very busy job as well. Uh, There's a lot that's going on and a lot of questions, I'm sure that are coming at you right now on a national level from chairing this uh, Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. So you've got a lot that's actually going on as well. I really appreciate both of you joining us in the dialogue today, to try to bring some facts and information to the dialogue because right now it seems to be missing. Uh, We're getting a lot of spin, we're getting a lot of noise, but we're not getting a lot of facts. And so I really appreciate you bringing the facts, finish the job well. There are a lot of families and a lot of individuals that are counting on you and the leadership uh, and Alliance Defending Freedom and all that you're doing in the days ahead. So really, really appreciate that. So for all of you that joined in, uh, hopefully we brought some education to you on this topic uh, that we can bring some information that in all likelihood, the national media and other folks are not actually bringing to you. They'll bring you a quick 20 second snippet and move on. We're trying to make you the smartest kid at the water cooler to be able to dig in and to say there's more facts, more information, more background here. If you wanna be able to follow us, uh, as I mentioned before, you can do that SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, all the different platforms uh, that deal with uh, podcasts and we'll send you the, the latest podcast. Uh, each time that it comes out. Feel free to be able to share this information with others that may want a little deeper dive on some information and we'll keep it on our website as well if you want a little deeper dive on this and to be able to come back to us. So look forward to getting a chance to be able to continue the dialogue. Some issues are controversial, but quite frankly, we as Americans, when we sit down and start talking about the facts and the information and lay all the problems on the table, that's when we can say, okay, there are the real problems. Let's figure out how we're going to solve this together as Americans. So look forward to the dialogue in the days ahead. Thanks again uh, for joining me in the conversation on the podcast today.